there's more great stuff where the Minutemen are concerned. Double so. nickels is two three-day sessions and one night mixing. That's nuts. That's Pretty carnal. <laughs> yeah. And then but I you love- understand at the time, it's just another flyer. It's six months due for another flyer. Welcome to Discography, the podcast that gives Gen X music maniacs a chance to smell like teen spirit again by connecting with the brotherhood obsessed with rating the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever mattered. I'm your host, Dave Gebro, and with three new episodes each week, you're going to gain a comprehensive knowledge of an act's history and output in the time it takes to listen to one album. And in this episode, we'll be turning our spray cans on the Minutemen, along with our unbelievably special guest, Mike Watt himself, who will be sifting through the sacred transmissions issued forth from his younger self and rating them all, every last LP, EP, and single from zero to five stars. This, then, is the final episode in the Watt Rates the Minutemen series, in which Watt reveals George Hurley's mind-blowingly unique lyric writing method, his thoughts on every song on Double Nickels on the Dime as we do a delicious track-by-track rundown, and the full spiel on the record the Minutemen were planning to make when D. Boone tragically passed. Coming up, we've got John Worcester talking about his favorite live albums of all time, Mark Robinson from Unrest rating everything he's ever done, Robert Schneider from the Apples in Stereo rating everything he's ever done, and Will Hart from the Olivia Tremor Control rating everything they ever did. Oh, and Michelle Phillips rating everything she's ever done, alongside Mamas and Papas author Richard C. Campbell, who's written a brand new book about him getting kind of itchy. So don't miss out. Open up your listening app right now and subscribe. Subscribe And for a significantly longer director's cut of this interview that's both ad-free and available a week ahead of time, along with the complete versions of all our shows, just go to patreon.com slash discograffiti and subscribe. Even if you're not sure, just head on over there because it's finally completely free to become a basic member. We've got 100 episodes available exclusively on Patreon, and that number, as well as the discograffiti inner circle, is growing exponentially by the day. That's patreon.com slash discograffiti. And away we go then. Tonight's guest can say with the straightest of faces that he was a member of one of the greatest bands of all time. He can also say if the urge strikes that he appears on two of the greatest double albums of all time. Not many can lay claim to that. His manically melodic fleet-handed bass runs are the thing of legend, and that legend began when the punk scene somehow midwifed the Minutemen in good old San Pedro, California in 1980. Throughout its existence, the band recorded four albums and eight EPs, and he's also gifted us with four solo albums, four with former wife Kira Rosler as the duo Dose, another three as part of the punk jazz jam band Banyan with Jane's Addiction, Stephen Perkins, Wilco's Nell Klein and the Beasties Money Mark Nishida, not to mention killing it as the bassist for the Stooges in 2003. Baking loaves of Wonder Bread for nigh on 45 years so as to keep us mealy-mouthed superfans wondering and wondering with that uniquely ground-out blend of punk, funk, hard rock, calypso, hell, you name it, and he'll motherfucking train wreck it. 
Lads and ladies out there pounding the corn dog littered pavement of downtown Pedro, it's one of the most preternaturally important people to ever breeze through the music game. The first person to talk in third person, Mike Watt. David, thank you for having me aboard. This record, there's only one song that, um, like, I don't know, which is You Need the Glory. But again, it's Dad, he like, picked that for his first song. That's his yeah. solo song. The record is beyond amazing. It's beyond. It's crazy how much you guys pack into a, a pretty lengthy trip, 81 minutes. Look, and you take some students in that classroom of that movement, and that's what you get a result. You know what I mean? We can't take full credit for it. You hit on so many of the great touchstones for a great album just in terms of my point of view what i'm looking for the whole thing starts with a statement of intent serious as a heart attack one of the greatest opening lines of a record in music history you're probably going to put me down for saying this i think you're like cream but better because i hear three guys who are intently listening to each other whereas in cream sometimes it felt like three guys who are masturbating into a black hole for me anyway you guys are very obviously listening to each other I hear the friendship behind the music. Yeah, it's very kind. Also, another aspect that I've you know, been really looking forward to talking about is not everybody can pull off profanity. It feels like a put on when a lot of people swear. I got to tell you about that. I totally used it for a device. There's a song on there called It's Expected I'm Gone. Big fucking shit right now. And I asked D. Boone to say that, and it has nothing to do with the rest of the song. I just wanted to hear him say that at that moment. It's fucking great. It's so perfect. It's a little bit of theater. Well, here's the thing. I don't remember my dreams anymore, okay? But back in the day, I used to wake up and write them down real quick. The most memorable dream, for whatever reason, that I ever had was I was at a Minutemen uh, benefit gig, and it was all different lead singers doing the songs. And you guys played with Jim Belushi, of all people. I have no idea why. You'd have to ask my therapist. I'd have to get a therapist first. But he comes on and does the big voice. And instead of screaming, Screaming, I'm fucking overwhelmed. He just goes, I'm overwhelmed. And I look around like, you guys fucking believe this? He skipped on the on the F word. Well, fucking overwhelmed is kind of like big fucking shit. But at least fucking overwhelmed has something to do with, you know, when I asked to D-Boone when D-Boone did that song, you know, we had to write that next batch of songs so quick because we right. had the re one record done. He didn't have time to practice. That's why he says space measurer. You know, it's the I first time he's, it's the first yeah. time he's reading it. It's the fucking first <laughs> Time. There's no prac. There's no fucking prac. Right, right. Okay. So what I asked him to do for Big Voice, see, we've just come from England with Black Flag, right? That's supposed to be the chimes of Big Ben. Do, 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 do. And then I asked him, oh. would you sing, would you sing like Jella Bia? See, these are insights, right? You wouldn't know this is an outsider. I said, would you sing this like Jella Biafra would? Huh. Without fucking overwhelmed. Talk to me about that. Because that is just another example of why you guys dominate so we fucking we wanted to show people, you kind of hinted to this already. We wanted to show people that we weren't three guys say, hey, I'll see you at the finish line. We're trying to show you we're playing together. Yeah. Right? Tight, sock tight, right? Fucking tight. Nobody ends songs like you guys. Nobody. 
Well, you can hear it in classical music. You can hear, it. you know, again, it's our fucking revelation that music is music and everything is vocab. Yeah. It's all vocabulary. Use it. Even if you ain't got your knife and fork or, or your hashi, you can use your hands. Yeah, yeah. Just get the shit in your mouth. <laughs> the next song you didn't have, or at least going chronologically hereafter, it's, it's expected I'm gone. I don't think you had a hand. They're not chronology. Me. Remember, these are picked by Round Robin, me, D. Boone, and Georgie. I know, but... Yeah. Okay. I'm saying just in terms of I can't even remember. Get this. The only way I can remember which one is from the fall of 83 batch and the spring of 84 batch is by his pronunciation. I can't even remember because they're not, it's not like two records. Oh, here's the spring record. Here's the fall record. They're all mixed up. And then we're reassigning the sequence by which songs the guys like. The best, the favorite ones are on the outside. The shitty ones are hugging the label. Right. That's interesting. I never heard you talk about that before. You think about a Sonic Youth record. The least song is always the last song on the first side, hugging the label. Ask Thurston about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then number one hit song is interesting because you were going to be entering a quote-unquote merch period, but this is pre -merch. No, no, number one hit song is important because it's the last one I record with a Minuteman using a pick. Now, I gotta okay. tell you about the lyrics. It's very important for Watt to have outside lyric writers. In fact, there's a lot of outside lyric writers on Double Nickels on the Dime because you start repeating yourself and then that leads to you repeating your musical motifs and ideas. So that's why I need an outside thing. Now, if D. Boone wrote words and they rhymed, there was no fucking way I was going to get those. He just would not give them to me. But the way a lot of the lyrics are on that record, where he was working at the Nichols Institute, being a handyman, one of the jobs was driving the van pool, and he would just write on paper a little stream of conscious thoughts, fuck advertising, psychological, you know, and it didn't rhyme, right? He'd get here, Bones, or Post, what he called the, the SST guys would call me Bones for a nickname. Growing up in Navy House and I learned slang for money was Bones. These cats mm -hmm. never heard that before and they thought it was a mind blow that someone would call money Bones. <laughs> I know it fucking weirded me out. A lot of shit weirded me out about the SST guys. You know, they're beautiful guys, but they came from another world than I did which is all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, they call me Bones, but D. Boone called me Post. And he said, Post, here's a song for you. And it was on an old notepad. <laughs> it was, the title is literally what the lyric sheet was. It was shipped from an old notepad. And, and it's the last one. And I, I figured, okay, this is the last one I used to pick up. So it had a little metaphor there too. I'm going to let go of the pick. And now D. Boone is thinking about consumerism. And then I'm having a little fun with this hard rock lick. And D. Boone's playing all this lead guitar. It's kind of a riff on the cut thing from Buzzer Hal. Remember, yeah. this is only a year after Buzzer Hal. Everything is happening so quick, David. Yeah, I know. That's the thing that shocked So about. some of these tunes are like part two, chapter right. two, chapter right, three, right. round four. It was all stream of conscious. That comes from growing up with the cat. I never got to have that again. The closest I ever got that again was a cat like Nels Klein, who can kind of improvise on the fly. That's what I mean when I say you can hear the friendship in the songs. It's also part of the mechanic in the dynamic. Right. I think if I had to choose any guitar work that D has ever done as my favorite, it would be two beads at the end. Those guitar lines are impossible not to sing along with. George Hurley uh, lyrics. My favorite line, I feel like a poker in somebody's fireplace. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's Georgie. That's, I know. Now, I'll tell you about Georgie's lyric writing method. At that time, 
Georgie went and bought a house. So he got this job at a machine shop working a lathe, like five in the morning. That's when he'd write, right at the beginning of his shift, that's when he'd write lyrics. So he'd be half awake and half making these needle valves for jet engines and shit, all precision, but he's all blurred out. So they're really abstract and surreal. I love it. I love it. But it's a product of living a life. And trying to do it. You know, my pop said, if you don't lie, you never have to remember. Georgie's just putting it out there. That's true. And, you know, the way that you guys would sing about each other, too, is just on a whole other level, especially one reporter's opinion. No, that's me singing about myself, and I couldn't play that. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with my vocal. I'm only on a couple tunes there. Because when I went to Fingers, it was hard to do the words and fingers at the same time. So a lot of songs I asked D. Boone to sing. In the older days, it was like, if you wrote the words. That was the rule with the Hooskers too. If you wrote the words, you sang them. But I couldn't do it because I wasn't skilled enough yet. I had to get better with the fingers. So people think history lesson and one reporter's opinion, that's D. Boone, but it's actually me. And you know what? I have to say, I'm guilty of that too, because, you know, in the 80s, when I'm getting into you guys, there's no internet. So I'm just assuming this mythic figure did most of the stuff for the band, and it was just as much you as him, not to take anything away from him. Well, okay, look, let's put it this way, David. I did most of the stuff, but I I didn't do the best stuff. Georgie and D. Boone wrote the best stuff. I just wrote more of it. I filled in the, you know, sort of like when you go in the head, most people see the tile. They don't look at the grout. I'm the grout. Right, right, right. And you know what's trippy? Bass is kind of like that too. You're the crowd. You glue the shit together. Yeah, but you're not just gluing. You're wild. Yeah, but David, I love the politics because you look good making them look good. Right. So another thing about the live tracks on this. Oh, that's Joe Carducci's idea. You're talking about Don't Look Now. We were trying to imagine Curtis Mayfield doing a Creedence song. But what I'm talking about is getting the recording from in the audience instead of a. No, it's Joe Carducci. It's Joe Carducci. Recording it. Okay. With this little machine in his pocket. It's just awesome. The idea, because nobody would think of doing something like that. It was also a swinging for the fence in the fucking stupid genre war. Why right. can't a Creedence song be done like Curtis Mayfield did it? Yeah. I mean, you guys are showing that at this point, certainly anything is possible. So for one reporter's opinion, we have a question from Matthew L. Weiss from the Archers of Love to Zampano group. He wants to know what could be romantic to Mike Watt. Man, people ask me. Martin Wong, the guy who did Giant Rose. Robot magazine in the 90s. He went and made buttons that say that. <laughs> that you pin on your fucking shirt. And, and I'm, I wonder why that line. I just thought by doing that, by using my name and then some kind of provocative thing like that, because I never understood what words were for in songs. Like even Bobby Dylan's songs, I thought was like some crazy uncle at Thanksgiving muttering shit. I thought words were like lead guitar, telegram, Sam, I'm your main man, you know, purple by Pete. And I, I just didn't know what words meant. And then when I got involved with the movement and, you know, Darby, well, she, Darby was such a trip because you never saw that at the gigs. But when you read that GI liner, the lyrics, oh my God. But the thing is, you got to sell it, man. You got to make it like this came from a real person and it's not just cliche stereotype stereotype cookie cutter shit i did the same thing in history lesson i say real names will be proof and i named john doe and eric bloom you know where d boom got his d boom from e bloom because it said he played stun guitar and terry mutation d boom is what is a fucking stun guitar i didn't know know that that was directly that's why i'm talking with you Dude, if we were in the same place right now, I'd be fucking cooking you breakfast. <laughs> I already did it. Saturday's pasta day for me. I had nice. brown rice puffs with fucking uh, ground turkey. Yeah. Nice. Garlic. So are, you, are you a romantic guy, though? In all seriousness, are you romantic? 
Hi, I'm Dave Gebro. I threw my career as a licensed hearing instrument specialist in the trash, sold my house, and moved to the East Coast with my wife and four-year-old son in order to focus on making the ultimate podcast for music obsessives thrive. Now I need your help. Although Discography is rated in the top 2% of all podcasts globally, the economics of this thing are tricky. Becoming a member of Discography's Patreon gives you access to over 100 more exclusive episodes. And moving forward now, every Sunday for only $5 a month as a private first class, you get our new weekly show by and for Discography's Patreon family, the Discography Soldiers of Sound podcast. It'll be hosted by Rudy Fishman, and given his sociopathic tendencies, I'm sure it'll have a lunatic's take over the asylum edge to it. If all you want to do is show some love, there's now finally a $1 tier. Don't miss out. Become a recruit and get your personal personalized backstage pass for a buck and for the cheapskates homeless people and all the bums sponging off mom and dad don't care just join it's now completely free to join as a basic member and it'll be the only place you'll be able to get our upcoming lou barlow Corey hansen mark robinson comp metal machine muzak as well as the triple album rock opera El Farmony i created with joe kennedy as the mentally regarded and the ability to purchase one-off patreon episodes that's it back to the show I wanted people to wonder about that because, you know, when people think they got you figured out, they stop listening to you. Right. So I wanted to give us another dimension that I think people thought we were some like cut out cartoon thing. And no, we're just, you know, flesh and blood. Think yeah. about it. When you hear Minutemen song, you don't know it until you hear it. Let, listen to it first. You know what I mean? I was trying to say, listen to us. Time is short. And look what happened with D. Boone. Time is short. Yeah, but, you know, the interesting thing about this is you may have written lyrics about the three of you guys to demystify, but in a weird way, it only adds to the legend that you're singing about yourselves. It only adds to it for me. It always did. I mean, there's the moody blues, right? I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band. See, there's a fine line, right, where it gets schmaltz and shit. And we weren't looking for that. We were just trying to say, you know, be awake. Yeah. You know, pay attention. You know, don't dismiss us because we're trying hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you certainly are. Little man with a gun in his hand. The only failure, if you ask me, of Double Nickels on the Dime, we should have never re-recorded another version. See, the problem was we weren't ready. We weren't ready. Well, I'm going to get to that. The reason why we tried it again was if you listen to Buzzer Hal, it fades out. We didn't have an ending for it yet. So then we did come with an ending, but it's a shitty version because it don't have the passion of something like you just made at the moment. Well, God bows to math. I was not big on Prague quite yet in high school. That odd time signature, I used to try to count it out when I was a teenager and always fuck it up. I can do it now, but that odd time signature, it always blew me away that that was on a punk record. Well, it is strange because Raymond's bringing me to these jazz, you know, these old bebop guys, and they play straight four. Okay, my favorite things is in three, four, but that's our attempt to try to be kind of jazz. It's sort of like uh, Split Red. It's unconscious, uh, but I am being influenced by these gigs Raymond's taking me to and a lot of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> so Corona, talk to me about your relationship with Corona. And- it's not my relationship. It's a D Boone song. But, but I- I'll tell you how it happened. It actually happened right before we recorded Buzzer Howl and the Influence because it comes out of a trip to Mexico. My song was I Felt Like a Gringo. That's on Buzzer Howl. Corona, that's the song we gave to Ethan James for the three songs he thought was one. 
that became the A-side. The first version of Corona is actually on Radio Tokyo tapes. Hmm. Okay. So we go to Mexico. I mean, there's a whole fucking weird thing to this. First thing is, second time ever at the Whiskey A Go-Go, we get to open up for Joanna Wett. Georgie says, hey, let's shave our heads bald. And then put oil over our heads so we look like burned out match heads. <laughs> so me and D Boone, okay, we'll see you at the gig, George. Because at this time, this is when my knees fucked up and I'm on crutches and shit. And so. But me and D Boone have never cut our heads bald before. So we don't know you're supposed to use clipper. We use a one disposable Bic razor. Man, oh. And our heads oh look like God. the fucking motocross track, you know, bloody <laughs> motherfucker. We get up there. Georgie didn't cut his hair off. He <laughs> cut it short, but he didn't go bald. He goes and he's laughing at us and shit. <laughs> so anyway, that weekend, we go to Encinitas Beach by Ensenada and Baja. And if you're at the beach and you're going to be in the water six, seven hours, your head's going to be, we got sunburned, you know, and we've never been bald-headed before. So yeah, Pelon Rojo, big fucking time. <laughs> the coincidence was 4th of July was on a Sunday, which was there a election day. So that's where I write felt like a gringo. I see these 16 year old soldiers come in this truck just throwing out bread with big PRI signs, right? I was like, Whoa, funny way to campaign. And then D Boone sees a lady picking up bottles so she can turn them in for money for, you know, chicas, the children. And he wrote Corona. It's two guys' take of the same event. Right. Us having a vacation in Mexico with bald heads that got real sunburned. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me about your fascination with James Joyce. I, too, have one. It's not as much with Ulysses. It's more... Okay, it totally coincides with Double Nickels on the Dime because I started reading on that tour that Black Flag takes us on to Europe and U.S. in early 1983. So almost all my songs on Double Nickels on the Dime, except the landlady note, you know, and the one with Mike Jackson, they're related to that book. That mm -hmm. book blew my mind. It's all connected. That whole fucking thing, everything's connected. Oh. That's why it seemed to me like a Minutemen gig, like all these little parts, but they're actually connected. Every time he changes part of the book, he changes the style of the writing. It's newspaper headlines. It's like an opera. It's like a technical paper. It goes all over the fucking place yeah just like you guys well that's where i saw the connect even though this yeah. dude was dead for like how many years by the time we wrote this that's why richard Meltzer's in there the guy who wrote lyrics for blue oyster cult all this stuff's connected it's all important it's not just trash wasted stuff no definitely not it's also not filler it's not pad it's but, but essential it, it's not every day that somebody does a work of importance and uh, david it's tentative. well that's up to you to decide okay right but i'll I tell know. you our intent our intent is like you know how flannel works it's made out of a lot of different colored threads. That's true. One of my favorite songs on this record, this is not a very controversial opinion, is History Lesson Part 2. I'm on the verge of tears every single time I hear it. And this song is kind of like the crux of the minute. Okay, I'll tell you about how I wrote that song. There was a zine here called Flipside. It is a letter section turned into this war between us and TOSOL. It was like, what the fuck, you know? I love Jack, you know, and those guys, Ron and Mike, Lost Todd stuff. We're getting all what genre does, even subgenre right maximum rock and roll crust what's the other one power violence <laughs> you know, all this kind of thing. <laughs> all this shit and it's really just about you and your buddies playing and we're all we're all on the same boat maybe we're in different compartments and i took the music from here she comes now if she ever comes now yeah because hank that tour we did with black flag that tour is really instrumental to double nickels because that's what we just did before we I recorded. He'd never heard Velvet Underground. And so in a weird way, we were like the mixtape for him. And that's what it's about. That's what punk's yeah. about. Yeah, punk yeah. ain't a fucking brand. It ain't an outfit. It ain't a uniform. It ain't a way of dancing. It could be. 
I mean, it's almost like what Alan Lomax was doing, you know, or Harry Smith. But that's why I was trying to say in that song. I was John Doe. I was E. Blue. I was Richard. I couldn't believe that the bass player ran the band. He ain't just the retarded friend. I put a picture of Richard Hill on my bass in 1977. And the motherfuckers here, you know, so-called rock and rollers, right? Arena rock. Not little Richard ones, but like 70s arena rock ones. I knew you would be the kind of person into this. It was like a fucking line in the sand. So I just yeah. said, you know what? Fuck it. Okay. So be it. It's a line in the sand, motherfucker. And then you had the foresight to make it a ballad, which is the crucial component of this song, because, you know, the heft of your friendship with D comes across so much more hardcore than if you had just made it another rock and roll song. And so well, to I wanted me, to relate this fellow punks. They were younger. But still, yeah. they're having this crisis on who's really punk and who ain't. Actually, the real thing was with the new wave. But then it started getting into the, the movement, even. And now, new yeah. wave was always a fucking corporate shill thing, of course. Yeah. Just like alternative later in the 90s. But inside our own movement, we were having these kind of discussions. So that was my way of trying to not say everything's all right and perfect and made up, but we can work on this shit. We but, can work on it. What was yeah. the Beatles thing? We can work it out or some shit. Right. But the thing that I'm left with when I hear this is not really the scene as much. But I'm trying to give you the insight that you could not know because you didn't know us personally. You'd have to take a crowbar to my fucking head. How would you know that just hearing the song? Especially no, Deep Boom singing my words because the bass line's too hard. Okay, so album number two of Double Nickels. So what happened with the mess up of the CD releases with Mr. Robot? Well, what there happened? was a time limitation. We couldn't get enough music. Van Halen wouldn't let us use our cover of theirs. Then I got the stupid idea of remixing it with Vetus, who's a beautiful man. He always produced the urinals. Urinals was a huge influence. They were like wire that wasn't in England. They were wire right here in SoCal, their own and version they, of it. They wrote Ack, 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 right? Ack, 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 Ack. There's actually four acts. Oh, we, we only put three acts because we left out a verse. We thought it was so econo. It's all one chord, and then they go down half a step. It's so fucking econo. There's only three of those CDs out because I stopped it. It was such a shitty mix. But it was time limitations. That's why there's no Mr. Robot's Holy Orders. Right. You know, I've compiled my own version here. Thank God I have everything that was intended to be on it. I don't see them as record one and record two. I see them is side D, side Georgie, side what? And then and side, side chafe. Chafe, okay. The chafe is when you, with the wheat, when you separate the wheat from the chafe. Right. It's a shit you don't use. But indeed, it was used. Certainly not chafe. I mean, You're right, because the Husker Du double album, it's actually a graphic. I think my favorite song toward the end has got to be Storm in My House. Both Henry and D. Boone was working on Greg Ginn's parents making a new house. So they're both doing construction. That's a work was, song. That's Hank and fucking D. Boone. It's unbelievably intense. I mean, unbelievably intense. So throwing good. a hamper, carrying lumber, throwing a hammer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I could talk for 10 hours with you about just this record. We're covering your whole discography. I want to linger. You and I both get five plus stars. Probably the best record I've ever played on. Oh, hi, Dave again. I got to tell you about the next tier. As a lieutenant, you get an ad-free, substantially elongated director's cut of every episode. And you'll be getting the shows an entire week early from now on. 
And now back to our expertly crafted program. It's staggering. It's the greatest album of all time with the most amount of great songs on it and the least amount of money going into the recording of it. I paid for it, $1,100. It was out of your pocket? Yeah. I hope you got recompensated. Yeah. All right, good. All right. Yeah, well, you know, Greg's always paid me for those things. We'll move on now. But man, I'm going to clone myself just so I could talk with you for the rest of time immemorial about just making double nickels. But there's more great stuff where the Minutemen are concerned. Double so. nickels is two three-day sessions and one night mixing. That's nuts. That's Pretty Connell. <laughs> yeah. And then but I you love- understand at the time, it's just another flyer. It's six months due for another flyer. This one's a little inspired by some buddies. I'm surprised that when you did the remixing that you didn't try to stick an O at the end of the San Pedro sign on the cover. The crop is wrong. It should have cut more of my fucking back of my head. Right. But it was in the picture. And by the way, that took three passes. Dirk Vandenberg took that picture. Hey, I'm in the backseat of my VW. I said, you got to get my eyes in the mirror. You got to have the speedometer at 55 and you got to get Pedro on the sign. And he did. Right, right. But then when we did the artwork... They cropped it wrong, and they cut part of the O off. What I love about the story, though, is that you took three passes at that. You probably didn't take three passes at any one song. Of those? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of second takes. Yeah. No, no, that. we did three passes, but get this. It's film. We don't know what we got. Exactly. It's not digital. We right. were rolling the dice. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> All right, so now we move on to a less than one year period, which is phase three, Mersh, 1985. So in June 1985, you released Project Mersh EP, which was recorded in February 85. It's a 22-minute EP. One of them tunes is just the end part repeated, Morshpiel. No, I love Morshpiel. Yeah, but I mean, come on, you can't really say that's 22 minutes of tunes. We're having fun with our image. Yeah, yeah. I got it. We'll have them write hit songs. Right, right. But I'm sure as you're poking fun at the notion of it, you don't not want to hit, right? I had no expectations those babies were going to. And then Joe Carducci wanted us to cover any, just put a Steppenwolf song on there. So T-Boom picked Hey Lottie Mama. It's fucking great. I love your cover. It's great. The I had no expectations. To me, it was just another chapter in the Minuteman book. There was no way that shit was going to get merged. We were making fun of the whole thing. Yeah. And in a way... Up to that point, it's your most experimental album because of you guys tinkering with a commercial sound. There's trumpet on every song. That was D. Boone's idea. That was D. Boone's idea. You got Joe Carducci producing with Ethan James at that yeah. Total Access. This is the studio where Dawkins did recordings in Redondo Beach. Yeah. It's totally hilarious. From my point of view, totally hilarious, but valid because in six months, we're going to make another record. Yeah. I mean, look, the cheerleaders, as soon as this kicks off, you got a funky pop song with a completely different and sleek sound production sound, which is clean, 1980s-like, with the trumpet, but there's no moment for me to catch my breath. It immediately feels right. It doesn't feel like any kind of hard left or anything. And then Tourspiel, it kind of feels like History Lesson Part 3. I put the Blue Oyster Cult bass player's name in it. Thank God for that. <laughs> Thank God for that, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know. It, it's a fun record, but I wouldn't want to hang my hat or die on that hill. You and I both agree on it. We both give it four stars. I think it's great. Great. I love it. And then comes Minute Flag. So this was recorded in March 85, released in early 86. Now look, about the release, Black Flag was doing Loose Nut in my head, and they took a break, and they said, you guys come in, jam with us. And we do those songs, improvise. D. Boone wrote words for one, so him and Hank sang. And then Greg Ginn says, look, this doesn't come out till somebody dies. That's why it came out when it came out. Did he really say dies? I thought it was when the group broke up. 
You heard me the first time. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's intense. Well, it's definitely a unique thing because if you know anything about, or not you, but if anyone knows anything about Black Flag and the Minutemen, the second you put this on, you'd be like, they must have put the wrong album in here because it's Calypso. The one song with vocals is a Calypso song where Henry Rollins is. Well, doing- all I can say is you're hung up on that genre stuff. George ain't even playing a trap kit. He's got a bean can. Got to get some <laughs> yeah. Caribbean yeah. thing in there. I love that. <laughs> fucking great or a latin thing a latin thing i don't feel the same way about this as you do to me this is the least released but i don't think it's supposed to be a typical thing it wasn't a minuteman record it's a collaboration yeah i i do have to say one of my best friends who loves you guys and loves black flag he wrote to me true story his name's todd zimmer true story i shoplifted that record and disliked it so much i returned it to where i stole it i'm glad <laughs> i probably wouldn't want to fucking listen to his shit either maybe no you would joe buys it did the cover of that. I mean, I, the only thing planned on that record was D. Boone writing those words. Okay, everything else was improvised, so in a way, it's a diary entry. If he right. don't dig it, he don't dig it, and that's his fault for bringing fucking expectations to it. You give this one four stars, I give it two, and actually, it was the very first time that I heard it was a few days ago, but this is not really part of the legacy of the Minutemen. It's kind of a side project. Oh, yes, it is. We're SST002. We go way back with Black Flag. That's all how we learned to tour. That's how we got inspired to start New Alliance Records. It's very much now here is us playing both together. No, it very much has right. to do with the Minutemen, but it's not a Minutemen record. You're right. right. I agree so, with you, David. All right, good, because I was going to slip my throat for stepping out of line there for a second. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> So when you become a major, you get yet another show on Wednesday. Either Discography's The Top Ten, our Buried Treasure show, Rock Cousteau, our Slag Off show, Queasy Listening, or exclusive limited series like The Private Press with Paul Major. And if you've got no financial worries to speak of, keep in mind that some of the higher Patreon tiers allow you to actually advertise on the show, choose the bands we cover, or even some of the guests we get. For the price of a cup of coffee a week, you can ensure my family's fed, build a music library that'll be the envy of your block, and connect to a thriving community of music maniacs all at the same time. Don't risk feeling badly about yourself by not giving. Patreon.com slash Discograffiti. Once again, that's Patreon.com slash Discograffiti. All right, so December 85, three-way tie for last. It was released in December 85, recorded between August and September. Talk to me about this one. Yeah, my least favorite. I don't like the sound so much. Ethan just got this kind of reverb thing like a day before and used it on every tune, especially snare drum. But my songwriting, D. Boone songs are good, but I'm not in a good place. We got no Georgie lyrics. There's no side Georgie. There's some interesting stuff with words that Kay gave. I like that part. That's my favorite part of the thing is D. Boone song. And Kay's words. Yeah, so this is your first time writing with Kira, right? Well, she gives me words and I try to write music to it. I've been doing this a lot of the Minutemen, using other people's words. Because it helps me not repeat myself musically. I do agree with you. Except for Political Nightmare, I love Price of Paradise, love Lost, love Courage. That's That's, T. Boone. That's T. Boone. Well, Lost is me, puppets. Right, but that first side's really good. The second side's got some great songs, but it's... It's probably our worst version of Red and Black ever, Hmm. 
with a bass solo. Oh my God, it's terrible. <laughs> you give this one three. I give it three and a half stars. I really I, didn't like it, but I yeah. think it was like on the downswing of a pitch when the arms coming back around. I think our next record, we were going to get back up there in the double nickels territory. That was going to be my next question. If you man, D Boom was so excited about the, our next stuff, and so was I. We knew that three way tie was like a low point. Where do you think at the moment? Forget about what ballot result would have been initially. But no, ballot result was supposed to be the third record, but we were going to call it Three Dudes, Six Sides, Three Studio, Three Live. Yeah, <laughs> That's what it was yeah, going to yeah. be fucking called. Yeah, yeah. And it was going to be a triple L. Three Sides would be live to fight that fucking bootleg that asshole did to us. Right. And then Three Sides were going to be studio, like what we did with Ethan and Double Nichols. But beyond that release, where do you think in your heart? No, no, no. We weren't yeah. thinking. We weren't yeah, thinking. Yeah. We, men, men never thought more than one record. Yeah. Never. We were going to keep on keeping on until the fucking wheels fell off. And the wheels yeah. fucking fell off. Or the so, wheel. The yeah. big wheel. Big so wheel. your last album, you decided to take a small break. You played your last tour with R.E.M. The final Now album. R.E.M., we get asked to do this tour. We didn't even know who that band was. We had to go buy a record the store. Whoa, this kind of sounded like folk music with big drum beat. And then we met them, and they worked at records. They knew about all the musics. They were such great cats, Michael and Mike and Bill, Pete, really good guys. There was such a corrupt, corrupt thing around them, but they were beautiful. Which I is interesting, because they weren't I, huge I take, at that point. Well, they were big than a lot of the bands in our scene come on sure and they are the guys who got the movement on college radio yeah. okay so you got to give those guys a lot of credit and they worked at that walk street in athens georgia too and they knew all about all the records they're beautiful i taped last poets at pete buck's house on thanksgiving that tour d boone wanted me to try out vegetarian so he got barbecue for all those guys i ate broccoli i ate broccoli every day of that tour my skin turned green also d boone wanted me to look like fidel castro so he had me wearing army clothes i'm on the back three-way tie with the beard you're pretty convincing actually as an army guy my mom's people are from italy so i got a little latin i think rem gets short trip these days and also oh, as people they were really great cats that band defended us you don't know those guys were beautiful of course we're outsiders we don't know anything we just thought all all the big league was like this. Oh, but man, were, rude awakening, we, huh? Not really. We expected the machine to be ugly. They didn't know because they kept them insulated on a tour bus. See, they didn't know this shit was going yeah, on. Yeah. They were beautiful. But they are beautiful. Have, you must have actually had a pretty amazing ride over the last four decades because everybody loves you. Everybody knows what you went through and you wear your heart on your sleeve and everybody wants to lend a loving hand to you. Isn't that right? David, if somebody said that to you, what would you say? <laughs> yeah, but I don't wear my history. You know, when I walk into a room, not everybody knows everything I've done. What? People don't know everything I've done. <laughs> no, but they know enough. And so people in the music scene like the way that Thurston reached out. Me and D-Boom would have still been playing, but you wouldn't have known of us without the movement. You're right, right you're right. right. I am part of a thing with other people, yes. And I've been very, very, very grateful for the kindness shown me. And that's why I try to pay it back. Yeah. That's why I do the Watch for Pedro show. Three days yeah. a week now. I've been doing this 22 years, four months now. It's my effort to try to, to pay back on that debt, David. Your life, more than any other possible example is a living breathing actualization of that credo i can't tell you the emotional truth of your life at all but that love must have been the thing that hoisted you up and helped you transcend the pain that came after december 22nd 1985 yeah it was a fucked up day motherfuckers sometimes want me to remember that day because i always go for april 1 right it's b-day 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't so go that, for the D-Day. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. D-Day. <laughs> so, so your last time that you played with your friend was December 13th, 1985. You played television See No Evil with our... Yeah, guys. it's not... We get done with our set, and then they do their set. For an encore, they invite us on the stage, and Pete Buck gives me... Well, I actually play guitar with Gene Boone. Yeah, it is like History Lesson mom, Part 2. And no, but in the words History Lesson Part 2, it says me and Mike Watt playing guitar. We actually play guitar. Yeah, that's funny. So you were predicting the future. Maybe, something like that. But And Georgie played one of Bill's floor toms. So the next step after Ballot Result, which we'll talk about in a minute, was Richard Meltzer had written 10 songs for the band, and he was going to sing right. sax. He was huge, huge influence on us. He had and a radio was... show here in the 70s called Hep Cats from Hell on KPFK. Before that, right, he's Bloor's cult lyric writer. He's the only guy who could write reviews that we could read. He's beautiful. He got us in Cream Magazine. He sent yeah. me at two of spades in the mail. He says, one day you're going to use this card. And I remember with all that heavy stuff happening, a black flag and stuff, Bean Spill just came out. So I sent him back the card. He gets us a review in Cream Magazine for Bean Spill. He goes, these guys are scientists rock. And so in history lesson, I go, we are scientists rock. I quote Richard Meltzer. Yeah. So we were going to do 10 tunes with him. He's going to play sax too. He gives me the poems. This is a week after we get back. The boat ain't unloaded. We're going to collaborate with him. It's a week back from the REM tour. The boat's still loaded with equipment. He's going to, his girlfriend's going to visit relatives and he's got fever. He's you're sick, D. Boone. I said, don't worry, don't worry. She'll drive. I said, well, here's the lyrics. I give him the 10 lyrics, the 10 poems. I said, when you get back, we're going to record with Richard Meltzer. And that's the last stuff I say to him. Yeah. Ever wondered what your favorite bands talk about after the gig on the long van ride between Reno and Salt Lake City? Do you miss having in-depth conversations about music with your closest friends, picking apart why some songs are good and why some miss the mark completely? Do you read every inch of the available liner notes and still shake a fist at the clouds yelling for more? Damn it, more? If any of this sounds familiar, 1001 Album Complaints is the podcast for you. Every week, musicians and close friends give irreverent but informed takes on a new classic album pulled randomly from the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. The hosts do extensive research telling the stories behind your favorite records and helping you better understand how songs, both great and terrible, were conceived and built from the ground up. In short, it's a deep dive with lots of laughs. So if you want to sound informed and funny when talking about music, I recommend you follow or subscribe to 1001 Album Complaints right now. It's available everywhere. So that was going to be after Three Dudes, Six Sides? No, he's going to come back from this trip and we're going to fucking put together some music for Richard and do it. This is something separate from Three Dudes, Three Sides. Which you eventually, about 10 years ago, you actually completed and put out. 11 years ago, yeah. It's called Spielgush. a couple from Tokyo. No one would do it with me because of all the cussing, but their English ain't so good. So, oh, Mr. Metzer has some uh, strong language, huh, my God? Said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, Ballot Result comes out as a replacement for what you had been planning. It was released after D had passed. It was uh, never I- planned. I just, we just got so many of the ballots. D. Boone made a ballot that went in three-way tie, and so many came back. I felt we owed the gig goers and listeners something. So, I added up all the votes. I tried to find versions 
versions of the songs they voted for. That's all it is. I it's think something it's that was it was something off the cuff that just happened. It's kind of live. One of its song is a background for a film. The guy just showed it on the wall and we jammed to it. It's all kinds of stuff. It's us trying to realize the votes that came in because that's three dudes, three sides was supposed to be. It yeah. was like democracy in action, right? D. Boone said, start your own band, right? I say that at the end of the gigs. You give this one four stars. I actually like it a bit more than you. Four and three quarter stars. I think it's an exceptional document. It may not be what you had planned on. No, I didn't plan it. It just yeah, happened yeah. because of right. the situation. And then that's chronologically the last thing you put out except for compilations and stuff like that. I didn't really put those out, but I put out things called post merch because CDs just come out. I didn't want to rip people off, so I put as much titles that would fit on the thing. And then things came out after that. You know, the whole idea of the CD was the racket trying to get everybody to rebuy the record collection so they could make more money. <laughs> And it's still going on. It's not SSTE. Yeah. It was just the whole racket. But that led to the digital downloading. It actually, yeah, my heart bleeds pink lemonade because they actually were the end of their own thing. Love now it. they sound contracts with bands where they get a piece of their T-shirts. That's the reality oh, of that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, it's called 365. It's, it's the awesome. worst deals. I don't know why anybody would do it. Yeah. Motherfuckers. Anyway, I don't want to get all bitter. I got to go to practice. I got a 60 gig tour coming up. Do you have five minutes to at least wind down? Five minutes. Three right. minutes. Three Three minutes. Three minutes it is. Okay, so I just want to say my piece here because when I do these discographical things, I'm able to see the shape of an arc. And so here's my small piece for whatever it's worth. As much a confluence of teenage friendship as the big bang of punk rock at its fullest and truest, this is Bob Dylan's dream writ large on a towering drive-in screen. And as his soldier children, you marched in step in a way never before seen in the annals of music history. Igniting that burning ceaseless light of young men and best friend ambition and taking such joy in creation. You finessed that annoying teenage habit of creating a nonsense language in which only you could participate. And seemingly from that, created a system of ethics that guided a mysterious band growth trajectory where you went from shooting out ideas buckshot with zero time to hang out, barely even legally able to be called songs. And within three years, you would recorded what could very well be the best double album of all time. Oddly to me, once you started tackling more classic-minded structures. You guys still sound convinced and message-bearing, but you also start sounding just the tiniest bit bored, maybe? Because life is just a horrifying experience to endure. There wasn't any time to find out if you, D, and Hurley would nip that shit in the butt on a dime or double down because in the end, fuck it, you were just three kids having fun and creating and beaming out joy whilst doing so. My personal assumption is you'd have transcended, zipped right through that period, and entered the post merch phase four in 86. But who's to know? You know what they say. If there's one thing life can guarantee, it's in keeping its meaning a mystery. My third favorite album of all time by you guys is Buzz or Howl. Number two is What Makes a Man Start Fires. One is Double Nickels. Okay. That's very kind of you, Dave. And Mike, from the bottom of my heart, man, I have all these other questions and whatnot. I'll skip them all. From the bottom of my heart, I want to say that I truly do love you. Everything that you've brought to my life, even though we've never met, is not something I can even quantify. So from the bottom of my heart, just like every other tour stop that you and Black Flag and the rest of the guys really created, you always have a place to stay in this area. Oh, you're most kind. Most kind. I, I really appreciate genuine feeling. Thank you. 
No problem, man. I can tell you how much this means to me and will mean to the listener base out there. It was Hooskers back in the day that you guys were getting inspiration from. Also meat puppets big time. And the urinals. Black Flag, Descendants. you have any contemporary inspiration bringers to your playing or to your style? Or all no? kinds, all kinds. Just listen to the Watt from Pedro show. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> Everyone <What>? is archived. <laughs> yeah, no, I have been, I will, and I can't wait to be on the show and December 6th. Well, That's uh, right. All right. We got some spiel to do. I can't wait, man. I it's going to be about your musical journey. Be careful what you wish for, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the songs I'm going to go prac now because Mike Baguetta wrote a song called those very same words. Have an amazing day, brother. Okay, you too, brother. Stay tuned because next week we've got Rob Cassis from the 1001 Album Complaints podcast rating Boston. A heartfelt discography thanks goes out to Watt, my beautiful wife and son, Jen and Mason, Tim Bugby for hooking this up, Rudy Fishman, my incredibly loyal fans, and especially the entire Patreon community, the Soldiers of Sound. I love every last one of you, and this show would not exist without you, my friends. Speaking of friends, it's high time for some new ones. They're in our Facebook group, Discography Soldiers of Sound. And the group's so damn good that with Patreon member Rudy Fishman's help, I even created a new Sunday show highlighting the goings-on of some of the more notable members out there. And the good news is, only five bucks will get you the Sunday show. Back to our Facebook group. That's the best way to find out what's coming up on the show, but there's a hell of a lot more. You get recaps of the day in music history, the ability to pitch questions to guests, polls that put you in the driver's seat on guest and band decisions, and access to a thriving creative hub if you're looking for a collaborator. So make sure you don't miss out. You can find the link to the Discography Soldiers of Sound Facebook page right there in the show notes. And if you don't mess with the Zuck, no sweat. Just email me at info at discography.com and I'll keep you in the loop. So now that it's done and you want more, another way to dive even deeper into the endless kick in the nuts pleasure of punk and post-punk is to dive headfirst into the David Pajo series, including the man himself rating Slint's discography, that's episodes 94 to 101. No Ages, Randy Randall rating the Jesus Lizard. That's 70 and 71. Along with a searing, soul-bearing interview with No Ages, Randy Randall. That's episode 88. Then there's Bob Nastanovich rating Pavement. That series runs from 49 to 58. Our stupidly popular episode about Nirvana. That's number 30. The replacements with Bob Mayer, 28 and 29. And then 18 is the Pixies. Join us during the upcoming week for Discography's week-long Immersh Mellow Christmas Deep Dive. Of course, if you're a Patreon subscriber at the Lieutenant Tier and up, then you're already a week ahead of the action, and you're listening to the following week's Boston episode. This Sunday, you can expect another deliriously sociopathic entry in our brand new Discography Soldiers of Sound podcast. And then this Wednesday's incredible Patreon-only Major Tier and Up episode of Discography's Top 10. This week's list, we're featuring Bo Bridges' Top 10 albums of the 19th 1990s. Then on Thursday, Lieutenants and Up can expect their early release ad-free extended director's cut of next week's episode, Mark Robinson Rates on Rest, The Road to Imperial. And I need to point out that there's a massive difference between the free version and the director's cut. You can expect an hour or two's difference in length, so don't miss out. 
Make sure you visit patreon.com slash discograffiti and check out the thematically related deep dive as a music obsessive's way of life. Our Patreon's been up and running for a year. There are over a hundred Patreon episodes at this point. That's an entire universe of indispensable music podcasts available to you for the price of a cup of coffee a week. And it's free to become a basic member. So go there and do that. And of course, be sure to mark your calendars because next Friday, December 29th, we're coming at you with 1001 Album Complaints Podcast creator and host Rob Cassis rating slabs of pure FM gold alongside yours truly as we trawl the Boston catalog. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. And so, from now till then... Don't let our youth go to waste, lads and ladies. It's Discography. Graffiti.